Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you wrote a love letter to us and that you want to have a relationship with us. We pray that you help us draw closer in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was this German shepherd and this Doberman and this cat. And all three of them died, and then they went to the the gates of heaven. And God looked down and said, before I let you in, I have to ask you a question. So he looked to the German shepherd and said, what do you believe in? The German shepherd said, I believe in discipline, loyalty, and the training of my master. And God said, good, you can sit at my right hand. Then God looked at the Doberman and said, what do you believe in? The Doberman said, I believe in love, care, and the protection of my master. God said, good, you can sit at my left hand. Then God looked at the cat and said, what do you believe in? The cat said, I believe you're sitting in my chair. (laughs) Now, cats aren't the only ones that get this wrong. A lot of people get this wrong, too. One time I was driving down South Cooper, and I was behind this car, and it was all beat up, and it was smoking. It was kind of lopsided, you know, and, 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 I, and it had this you know, bumper barely hanging on, but it had a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker said, it's all about me. So I sped up because I wanted to see who it was all about. So I sped up so I could look in the window and see the guy that was driving the car, and he was all disheveled and unkept and had his hat on backwards. And I thought, so it's you that it's all about. And then I thought, you know, there are trillions of galaxies. And each of these galaxies have, you know, billions and trillions of stars. And then if you just kind of hone down to just this one little teeny galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy, and then if you go into that galaxy and, and go to one of the very smallest stars, what we call the sun, there's some planets revolving around that star. And one of those planets, one little speck in this humongous galaxy is called Earth. And if you hone in onto Earth and you see all these countries and then you hone into the United States and then you hone in closer to Texas and then you hone in down to the city of Arlington and then you get all the way to South Cooper. And there's the one who it's all about right there. (laughs) Well, the truth is, it's all about Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. So all of history really is his story. It's all been by him and it's all for him. And we've been doing this series entitled God's Grand Story, the story of the whole Bible. And the story of the Bible really is all about Christ. 
But the amazing thing is that he has included us into his story. And we've been trying in a series that we've been doing to see the whole picture better so we can better understand how each part fits in the whole story of the Bible. And also so we can better see how we fit in to this story. And just a little bit of review, we've divided the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament and New Testament in the Bible. We divided the Old Testament into six parts. First part is beginnings. Then there's wilderness wanderings. And then you have promised land, enter the promised land. Then you have a time of united kingdom under King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Then there's the fifth part, the divided kingdom where Israel is broken up, the, ten, the 12 tribes break up into 10 and 2 tribes, the northern and southern tribes. And the sixth part is captivity and the coming kingdom, which we'll talk about uh, today some and next week as well. But it's really important that we understand that when we got to that fifth part, after there was this united kingdom under one king, you remember Saul was, Saul, Solomon was the last king of the United Kingdom, but he was a king with a divided heart. And after him, there was a divided kingdom. There was a split, a fracture in the 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 northern tribes split from the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And these tribes, these 10 uh, northern tribes and two southern tribes, actually, even though they split from each other, for the bulk of their history, and 100% of the northern history, and the bulk of the southern history, they, these tribes actually pursued not God, but idolatry. And so God would send prophets. He sent prophets to the northern tribes. He sent prophets to the southern tribes to do what? To call them back to God, to call them to repentance from idolatry and back to him. Let's read this passage, Second Chronicles 36, 15, and 16. It says, And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again, and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. So God now is going to send some judgment upon the northern and the southern Tribes. He sent the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And he sent the Babylonians to overtake the southern kingdom of Judah. And a lot of our Bible talks about this. A lot of our Bible tells this story. And a lot of the books that we have that are prophetic books are prophets that are prophesying to the north and to the south. Now... <clears throat> Most of those that the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians, most of those were conquered people. But the way the Assyrians would conquer is they would assimilate the people. <coughs> Excuse me. They would, have the, they would intermarry with them, and they would no longer be a distinct people. That's what happened to the northern tribes. The tribes of the north, again, were never discernible again and often today referred to as the lost tribes of Israel. Now, the Babylonian had a, Babylonians had a different practice than the Assyrians. What the Babylonians would do is they would, when they conquered, they would actually take 
the people captivity, in captivity back to Babylon, especially those that could help their culture and their society. And so they took them in captivity, and it was prophesied that this captivity would be 70 years. But when, he took them, when the Babylonians took them in captivity, they were able to still be a distinct people, the distinct people of Judah. And so two of the prophets that you have in your Bible, Ezekiel and Daniel, are prophesying to Judah in Babylon. Ezekiel began to prophesy even before Jerusalem had fallen. And Daniel, of course, was taken captive, grows up as a young man in Babylon, but was a prophet of God in Babylon, even to the time in which God allowed them to return from captivity back to Judah after the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire. So when that happened, when the Persians eventually conquered the Babylonian Empire, Cyrus, actually their philosophy was even different than the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They wanted to send them back to Judah and to still reign over them. So I just want you to see what's going on here. There's a captivity. What's going on? A lot of people think, was that anything more than just divine punishment? And we need to see that there's a bigger picture going on here, that God had a larger agenda than just punishing his people. He was trying to prepare them to represent him, not only back in the ancient land of Judah, but prepare them to represent him in the far reaches of the world. Again, I want to remind you, this is God's goal from the very beginning. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21 is really important that we know this passage. This is God speaking. He says this, Indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God is taking history somewhere. He's, taking, he's got this end goal in mind, and he's committed to arranging and disposing of the events of history and the events of our lives to bring about this end goal. And so even as we saw in our study that God chose a man by the name of Abram, changed his name to Abraham, promised he'd make him a great nation, that nation that Abraham gave birth to is a nation of Israel, a nation that God's plan was a nation that would be a blessing to all the nations of the world so that the glory of the Lord would fill the entire world. Now, this was not happening and so God is bringing discipline upon Israel and Judah to do what? To bring them back to himself and get them back on mission. Now, the thing about when God brings discipline, it can be very painful. But the result can be very good. See, a lot of times when we're going through trials, we forget that God has a purpose for our trials. And his purpose is always a good purpose. When he puts us through trials, it's because he's trying to work out something good. So this is how God deals with those who truly believe in him. And it's called the discipline of the Lord. And I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning because I think in this process we're thinking, okay, Gary, so what is the takeaway for me about, the, you know, about what's going on you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago? Well, the takeaway is to understand how God works. 
Because some of you right now, we have to admit, you're going through some very difficult times and it's not making sense to you. And if we don't understand how God works, then we can be disillusioned in the midst of our difficult times. So we need to understand how God works. And Jesus tells us so much in just two verses about how God works in John chapter 15. That's what I want to look at this morning because Jesus is going to illustrate for us an understanding of how God works in disciplining us and how he works in pruning us. And of course, John 15, he talks about this illustration of a vineyard. And I want to read these two verses, and then we're going to take the rest of our time to just understand what this teaches and what it means to us. All right, John 15, verse 1 and 2, here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Okay, first I want you to notice this, that we really do some careful Bible study here. And if you don't do careful Bible study here, you start another denomination. Okay, so let's do, be careful here. Let's just walk through it. First of all, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, this is a verse that has caused a lot of controversy. You that have an NIV translation, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And so we need to understand exactly what this really means here. First of all, he says, every branch in me. Now, repeatedly in the New Testament, a believer is described as somebody who is in Christ. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So Jesus has someone in view here that is a Christian. They are in him. So he's talking in verse 2 about a Christian. It's the first thing we need to understand. He's talking about a Christian who's not bearing fruit. He's not, he or she's not bearing fruit. So what happens to that Christian who's not bearing fruit? Well, he says that the NIV says he's cut off. New American Standard says he's taken its branch is taken away. What is the way to translate this verse? Remember, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. The word here is the word Iro, A-I-R-O, is a transliteration. Iro. This word, this word can be translated take away, or it can be translated take up, or even lift up. And he's one, we have a case where Simon of Cyrene, we just had our Easter weekend, and Jesus is carrying a cross. Remember, he, he can't carry it all the way to Golgotha. He stumbles. He is so weak, and he can't carry it. So the Romans, one of the Roman guards pulls out 
someone from the crowd named Simon of Cyrene to do what? It says, it calls him to take, to take away his cross. The word is Iro here. To cut off the cross? No. Simon has to take up, lift up the cross and carry it. Same word Iro is used there that's used in John 15 verse 2. The translation cut off doesn't work. It's a bad translation. And so we need to look at all the options and say, what really fits here? What fits here is the idea of this branch that's not bearing fruit, that is a Christian, is lifted up. Not cut off, lifted up, taken up. Now, that would make perfect sense to somebody who worked in a vineyard. Why? Because a person that works in a vineyard knows that sometimes some of the branches end up trailing down into the dirt. And as they trail down into the dirt, they get covered with dirt. And then when it rains, they get covered in mud and they get covered with mildew. And they cannot bear fruit down here. So what does the vine dresser do? The vine dresser takes a bucket of water and he comes and he walks through and he sees these branches and he takes them out of the mud and the dirt and he washes off the mud and the dirt. He lifts it up. He takes it up. And he puts it on the trellis. Why? So it can have the air it needs. It can get the sunlight it needs. And it can begin to produce fruit. That's why in verse 3 it uses the word clean in John 15. So the vine dresser cleans it, lifts it up. Why? So it can bear fruit. He doesn't cut it off. He doesn't take it away. He lifts it up. And that's what Jesus has in mind. So if you've got a Christian who's not bearing fruit, Jesus doesn't say, cut them off. No, he doesn't. Jesus comes and he wants, he wants to lift up that Christian so he can bear fruit. Now, just like that branch that was in the dirt and mud covered over with dirt and mud, when a Christian is living in sin, it's like, it's, it's like the covering up, it's like sunlight can't get through, and this person's not bearing any fruit. So what does the vine dresser do for the Christian who is, is living in sin and not bearing fruit? What does the vine dresser do? What does God do for the Christian? What God does is lifts up the Christian out of the mud and the misery. So they can bear fruit. If your life is consistently not bearing fruit, God's going to intervene and work in your life in a way to enable you to bear fruit. He's committed to that. How does he do that? He does that through a process the Bible calls discipline. Discipline. Discipline is what happens when our loving Father steps in to lift us up away from our own destructive and unfruitful, you know, pursuits. So what does the vine dresser do with a branch that bears no fruit? He brings about discipline. So how should the branch respond to the discipline of the Lord? By repenting. And now if necessary, the vine dresser will even bring even use painful measures to bring about repentance. 
His purpose is to cleanse you, cleanse us, to free us from sin so we can live this abundant life and bear fruit. That's the goal. He has a good goal. So God's discipline starts because of a major sin problem, some unconfronted behavior or attitude that is blighting your life, and, that, and it ends, his discipline ends when the problem ends, when there's repentance. Now, does the Bible clearly teach this? That's how God works. Because some people are thinking, God doesn't do that. Let's look and see. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges Scourges every son whom he receives. Now, why would a loving God want to bring any of his children pain? Well, he does that in order to get our attention and gain this highly desirable result in our life of bearing fruit. He goes on, Hebrews 12, verse 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I want you to notice four words here, four results of the discipline of the Lord. Our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. That's what God is trying to work in the lives of those whom he's brought discipline, our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. But notice verse 9. Verse 9 is very important in Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So the question is, in the midst of the discipline, will I be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Or will I resist and rebel against the Father of spirits and not live? See, trials, the thing about trials, when they come, when the discipline of the Lord comes, it can make us better or bitter, depending on how we respond to it. It's all up to me. It's all up to you when it happens. I will only experience the pain as long as I hang on to my sin. Yeah, I knew I had a friend that was in leadership and ministry, very effective spiritual leader, but he had a secret sin in his life. It was a sexual sin. And he and everything began to go crash down in his life. I mean, his finances went south, his health went south, his relationships went south. Everything was going wrong in his life. But he still would not repent. Eventually, he resigned from ministry. But everything continued to go that way in his life because he had not repented. And I still remember when he did. I still remember the moment when he finally just really confessed his sin and forsook it, really turned away from it. Repentance is a 180. He said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm putting that behind me. And everything changed in his life. The discipline lifted. His finances came up. His health came up. He's back in another state now leading in ministry. You might say, well, God really do these kinds of things. Does God do this kind of stuff to his children? The answer is yes, he does. 
He does it to bring us to a place of repentance. Remember, it wasn't until the prodigal son came to the end of himself in the pig pen that he decided it's time to go home to the Father. So discipline is the vine dresser strategy for cleansing us when we are living unfruitful lives because of unrepentant sin in our lives. And perhaps some of you are experiencing the discipline of the Lord right now in your life. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But God has introduced some kind of pressure or pain into your life, and he's got your attention with it. I want you to know he's doing this for your good because he loves you, and he doesn't want you to continue to not bear fruit. And you can stop it. You can stop it. You can stop it today by repenting of your sin. So the question I think you got to just got we just got to ask ourselves is there something is there some sin in my life that I'm refusing to let go of? Is there some sin I'm holding on to, whatever it may be? And some of you right now probably have something come to mind because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to some of you even right now. You have it; it's in your mind what it is, and you need to understand that you can end the discipline of the Lord today by repenting today. Now, there's something else he says in this passage. Let me just touch briefly on it. He says, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So what does the vine dresser do with the branch that's bearing fruit? Well, he's going to prune it so it'll bear more fruit. See, what happens in a vineyard is all kinds of leaves are growing and wood's growing and it blocks the sunlight. And so the vine dresser comes and clips away all the leaves and the wood that's in the way. What? So he can have more fruit because the purpose of the vineyard is grapes, not leaves. And so that is called pruning. And for the Christian, sometimes we have all these other distractions and activities in our lives that keep us from having the priority of the kingdom of God and bearing fruit. So God comes in and has to clip away some of the distractions and some of the different uh, wrong priorities so we can seek first the kingdom of God again and make that a priority. So how do we respond when we're being pruned? Because pruning can be painful too. We respond by realigning our priorities. Because you can be, th these things that are in your life that are distracting and are, are preoccupying you with so many things that aren't kingdom priorities, in and of themselves might not be bad, might not be sin in and of themselves, but they are the wrong priorities. And pruning is clipping away wrong priorities so we can seek first the kingdom of God again. So how do you go from no fruit to fruit? It's through the discipline of the Lord. How do you go from fruit to more fruit? It's through the pruning of the Lord. How do you know the difference between the discipline of the Lord and the pruning of the Lord? If it's the discipline of the Lord, the Lord will show you what sin it is to repent from. You'll know. If it's the pruning of the Lord, you might not be in doing anything in and of itself wrong. It's just your priorities are not right. And God's trying to help you realign your priorities through the pruning process. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here as we prepare to close, because here's the thing, both the discipline of the Lord and the pruning of the Lord can be painful. And sometimes pain is the only thing that gets free creatures' attention. God has to send pain 
so we'll pay attention to it. Why? So some good will happen so we can repent or realign our priorities and we can start bearing more fruit for the glory of Christ. Now, during this last song, it's called Come to the Altar. For those of you that are under the discipline of the Lord, and you know it, and, you, and the Lord has even shown you the sin, you're saying, today I want this to end, Lord, and you want to repent from it. We're just going to, this is like an altar up front during the song. Just come and say, Lord, I confess this sin and I forsake it today. And you can walk out here knowing that the Lord is going to lift that off. That discipline is going to be lifted off. Those of you that are going through the pruning of the Lord, this is also the altar up front that you can say, Lord, I've got, to re- I've got to realign my priorities. And today I'm coming up here to again say, I seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray and then this altar is open for you who are going through the discipline of pruning of the Lord. Father, you know. You know exactly what everyone's going through in this room. So we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Reveal those who are going through the discipline, Lord. Show them the sin to repent from today. Those who are going through pruning right now, Lord, show them some priority needs to be realigned. So, Lord, we're asking you by the power of your Spirit, you do this now. In Jesus' name. No. Oh. 
Father, we, we gladly repent, Lord, from all the sin you're showing us. We confess it, Lord. We forsake it. We also repent for wrong priorities, Lord, and we just right now want to put you first in everything. Seek you first, your kingdom first. And we pray, Lord, that you would now just lift the discipline off and, Lord, you would enable us to walk, Lord, in fruit-bearing, all of us. And we just pray you give us sensitivity to sin quickly in our lives, that we can quickly confess it and walk in fellowship with you and fill with the Spirit of God. So this week, Lord, we pray that we'd all bear much fruit for the glory of Christ because it's all about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.